And now it is time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We thank you so much for tuning into the show today. We really appreciate it. And for the next hour or so, we're going to be live here from Port St. Lucie uh, with We Are Just Christians. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers, how you can reach us here on, on the show. We'd like to have a conversation with you. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you heard, and with me, too, is Gary Jones. He's the other host. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. We're glad we can be with you. And and We Are Just Christians is based upon the premise that we can simply be just a Christian like they were in the first century without being part of some man-made denomination or following the traditions not only of religious people in the past, but of secular the secular traditions and customs of our day. But we can follow what Jesus Christ has left us in the New Testament as a way to live. And so that's what the show is about. Now, we take different approaches to, you know, talking about this subject. Sometimes we're dealing directly uh, with a particular question or problems. A lot of times it's what you bring up. Sometimes it's things that we see in the news that we can use to, you know, illustrate these principles to you from things that are currently happening around us and some of the changes that are going on. And and a lot of it, what we're doing is illustrating how that human beings in spiritual and even political matters are caught up in tradition and not following what the Bible says they ought to be doing. So we believe in a plain and simple reading of the scriptures, that the Bible was written for people to understand without having to have some kind of special education. It can be understood, it can be applied, and we can then have unity in that if we trust what the Bible says is true. The lack of unity in religious things is as often as not, more so than not, due to people simply putting forth their own ideas and not submitting their ideas, submitting to what the scripture teaches. So when you call into this show and ask a question or make a comment, we're going to evaluate that in light of our understanding of what the scriptures say. We're going to try to give you some scriptures to think about or to read and look up. So take a piece of paper and a pencil and you can write these down, you can look them up. If you call in and you want to make a comment, we're going to evaluate that. And we may agree or we may disagree. We promise not to misuse you in any way or or just bait you with something. Uh, And and we'll give you the last word so you can call in. You can be rest assured you're not going to be taken advantage of in that. If you've listened to the show, I hope you can say, yeah, they, they don't mistreat their callers one way or the other, whether they agree or disagree. So feel free to call us. You can reach we are just Christians here in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number you can reach us. And uh, right there at the station, I'll patch you right through to us here and we'll be have a conversation. You can also reach us, Gary and I both have our own text numbers. You can reach us during the show or during the week. By text message, let me give you those two numbers. You can reach Mike at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is Mike's text number. And Gary's got a similar one, 772-260-6220 
is Gary's text number. So you can um, uh, reach us that way. We'll try to respond to your text while we're here on the air, on the air if possible in some way. And if not, we'll respond during the week. So you can do that. So that's how you get a hold of the show. 340-1590 are one of the two text numbers. You can reach us. We'd be glad to hear from you. You you calling us and, and um, throwing your hat into the ring. I know it's risky to some people to do that. You don't have to be embarrassed. Everybody's got the same kind of questions. Give us a call, and then we'll be glad to have a conversation with you. Maybe we can all learn something from what's being said. But this show, but we're going to put, uh, we're going to uh, put the Bible first and a plain reading of that. Now you say, well, everybody does that, and that's true. Uh, they all say that they do, but um, the question is, can we read it plainly? from the Bible, or is it something that is just coming from a creed or a, or a catechism book or just some human idea that people have, the culture of the moment idea, uh, and that's how we're going to evaluate it. So there you go. Uh, and uh, that's what We Are Just Christians is all about. So at the church here, just make this more clear, at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, that's how we operate or make make a sincere attempt to do that we're going to we have our bible classes to find out how we ought to live as people as individuals and as a church what we ought to do or not do and we're going to try we follow try to follow those things in a plain and simple way uh, and that's why the worship services here might look a little different than what you're used to because so many churches have added their own ideas and customs and traditions and and they've added to the word of god or taken away from the word of god it's interesting how that happens. When you add two, you have to you end up taking away from something. It's interesting <laughs> how that happens. If you give me a paintbrush and I walk up to the Mona Lisa and start putting some more paint on there, am I adding to it or am I taking away from it? Uh, yeah, I'm doing both, but most likely the overall effect is going to be taking away from the beauty of that artwork. See, so uh, and that's what humans do with their ideas and their thought processes. So that's where we are, and we'd like to invite you to give us a call, 772-260-6120. Gary, well, you look it, like you want to say something. Well, it, it's just so easy to have an idea about what the Bible should say and find one verse that you can convince yourself says that and not look at any of their other verses. Yeah, the proof texting of one scripture and, and taking something yeah. out of its own context and, and then not looking at the rest of the, what the Bible what says, says about something. The Bible is one book, yes. It means the book. The word Bible means book. But it is 66 books written across a period of time in different cultures. And they all hook together. They all, they all have a common theme and purpose. And so we have to look at the totality of God's word. Now, we, when we read the totality of it, we find, for example, that, that the 39 books of the Old Testament, though they are instructive and they lead us to Christ, are not the guidebook for how the church ought to be operating today. So we can't take the customs of the animal sacrifice and whatnot and apply them to today the in, ceremonies a, in a direct that... way. Yes, the ceremonial. We can't apply them in a direct way today because we have to follow what Christ said when he established his covenant after his death. That's the New Testament. And the uh, Old Testament is instructive in this regard. Even some of what we might call the moral laws are that way. You know, there's there's laws about interest rates and laws about planting crops and there's laws about uh, you know uh, different th we have to apply them properly and that takes study and consideration 
But the real differences in people occur when people simply decide that they're not going to respect uh, what what's being said. Well, um, they don't like what's they being, don't like what's being said. That's being right. said, and when you don't like what's being said, you're you're going to look other places. It's just that's human nature, and unfortunately, uh, I'll have to admit, the more I study, I have found some things I don't personally like. I realize that God is asking me to do things for my good, but you know, still I have my own you know wants and desires, and that's what happens to most people. Yes, that that selfishness is. and that uh, self-interest thing keeps coming through each time. You know, I uh, wish I could find this thing. I was reading yesterday, and it's funny. The Bible is this kind of a book that uh, you can have read it over and over and over again. And then suddenly read something and say, wow, I didn't realize that was there. You before. just like, like you completely missed what was actually there in front of you. Hang on one second here. I think um, we got a caller, but let me say this first. Jerry's on live. Let me say this first. And I have no idea what I just did. Well, I was going to bring up John twelve forty eight because that's what we need to look to. Okay. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him in the last, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Please read that. I think it's worth underlining. But basically, that's what we're here all about. What does Jesus have to say? And that is going to judge us in the last day. That's what we that's what we should be paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. We're going to come to the phone in a second. But I was reading in Deuteronomy, I guess even yesterday, in Deuteronomy 29. I know how many times I've read these passages. So it says it's, it's, he's warning them to follow his word, God is. And he tells them to... That they're, so he doesn't want there to be a man or woman among them, a family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. And he says, and so it may ha- not happen that when he hears the words of this curse, that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. So here he warns them about saying to themselves, well, I'm going to be at peace with this even uh, even though I, I'm by following the dictates of my heart, what what is our what's the moral standard that I would say most religious people today put on their behavior? Well, oh, this, I have this, peace this, in my heart, so this must be right. Okay, he warns you directly in Deuteronomy 29 not to do that. And what what are all the Disney movies about? Yeah, follow, follow your, your heart. heart. You, Gary knows how long I've been saying oh, this here yeah. constantly, but there it is, right in the right. And I don't know how I overlooked it. But anyway, we need to come back to that. But right now, I think we should go to the phone, uh, phones because uh, Jerry's called in. How are you doing, Jerry? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. I, I was wondering, I don't want to sound totally na- naive, but uh, uh, you were explaining. That's okay, we do. Uh, go ahead. Uh, the Trump apostolic already explained uh, on, on a previous show, but I was wondering, the King James Bible uh, was uh, James, one of the apostles, and and uh, I was wondering if you could uh, clear that up for me. And uh, uh, thank you for helping my question, guys. King James Bible. Thank you. Okay. Uh, all right. I think I, I, if I uh, caught, we have so much interference sometimes. I think Jerry first mentioned apostolic authority. Yeah. If, if I understood what he was saying properly about 
that and connect it up here as far as James being an, an apostle and so forth. Well, Jesus himself gave authority to his apostles to carry on after he was gone. In John 16, he says, many things I have to say to you, but you can, speaking to these apostles, right. but you cannot bear them now, but when I'm gone, I will send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. He even says, he that rejects you and things that you say rejects me. So Jesus gave authority to his apostles to, to listen to his Holy Spirit after Jesus was gone back to heaven and then teach us what else was being said. He told them to go into all the nations in Matthew 28 and preach to every creature and baptize them, making disciples of them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So he gave his apostles authority, apostolic authority. There was also authority given to other inspired men, men that were carried along or inspired by the Holy Spirit, men such as Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, who was not an apostle, but was one who was with the apostles a little bit. He was younger than them. And Luke wrote under the inspiration of God, did not carry the authority of an apostle as such in directing the churches, but he wrote the, the book of Luke. Now, the question on... on uh, yeah, someone says, and James, that's true. But, I mean, uh, Luke and Acts are really almost considered to be one book. Luke yeah. Acts, Luke dash Acts, it's often written down because they're just a continuation of the other. And that's true. They, he wrote both of them. So the, there, there are, here's the other trouble. Well, Gary, you were going to say something while I looked this up. Well, story. I was going to say that, that passage you were talking about is John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. However, right. when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So basically they were told the spirit is going to come, remind you, and he says in another place, will remind you of the things that he told them, and uh, tell them things uh, that he didn't have time to speak to them, that they couldn't bear them. Right. And, and he was speaking directly to the apostles at that point. This, this, was, this was, I think, part of the Last Supper. Uh, That's what we usually call it. And he was talking to them. Right. Now, as far as James, the, the idea of James, um, I, there, here's the difficulty with that, in the sense, because there's more than one James in the New Testament. It apparently was a common name. It really is a variation of the word Jacob, a variation of the Hebrew word for Jacob, and it's been kind of turned into a Greek or Aramaic for a form of James. But in the Bible, you have, in, it's not an old, not mentioned in the Old Testament, so that there, that change had taken place in, new, in between the Testaments and New Testament times, the name. But the first time you have it in the Bible is in Matthew 4.21, where Jesus finds these two brothers James and John, John, those are the two that he makes his apostles later. They're both sons of Zebedee, two brothers, the sons of Zebedee. This James becomes the apostle that was uh, put to death. And then you have John, who is um, the one that wrote the book, the gospel of John, John and the three epistles, and was very, very close to Jesus 
during his ministry. And the Revelation. And, and the book, yeah, I knew there was something else I was forgetting in the book of Revelation. And then you have, uh, then in chapter 10, verse 2, you have uh, the names of the 12 apostles, and you have this listing. Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, that's the one we just mentioned, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus. So that's obviously a different James than James, the son of Zebedee, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. So there's two Simons, one called Simon Peter, and the other Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. So these are the 12 apostles. Paul later becomes an apostle out of due season in his witnessing of the Lord uh, on the road to Damascus Masters. and so forth, because he had seen Jesus before and was a persecutor of Jesus and had known Jesus throughout his whole ministry, he just was an unbeliever at that point in time. So in any event, you have at least these two Jameses here. Now there's another James, and two of them are apostles. So we have two Jameses that are apostles. One of those is killed by Herod in, uh, in Acts chapter, I think it's 11. I believe he's killed. Uh, in any event, <clears throat> you have uh, another another James um, in Matthew chapter 13. Okay, and here when that when Jesus does a miracle here, I believe it's in in Nazareth. He's in the synagogue at Nazareth in Matthew 13. And down around uh, verse 54, it says, And when he had come to his own country, that is around Nazareth where he grew up, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, this not, the, his, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph? or Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So, so they were offended at him. And that's when Jesus said, a prophet is not without. By offended, they mean, it means they stumbled. They, they wouldn't believe that he was who he said he was, or who he appeared to be, because they knew him and his mother and his brothers and sisters, which really strikes at the heart of the fact that Mary was a perpetual virgin, and so forth because this is exactly a contradiction to that entire Catholic doctrine that Mary was a perpetual virgin, because after Jesus was born, her and Joseph had these other children, and it names them here. Anyway, a prophet, he says, is not without honor except in his own country, and he did, and in his own house. He did not many do, do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So here we have another James. Now, I believe, Gary, and, and maybe there is some, some disagreement about this, but I believe this James is the James that later his brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah until, until after, after his crucifixion and resurrection. Then they became to be believers. They knew him and they knew he had been resurrected. So then they became believers. It isn't like they were antagonistic to him. They just didn't believe. He's probably said, "Well, that's like my brothers do me. My, it's just <laughs> that's just Mike. He's just crazy. That's how my." Until my brothers treat me a lot of the time. It's just crazy. Of course, I've been proven to become more and more right about the things I've said all these years, Gary, as time goes by. They're seeing come right before their eyes the very things I predicted 30 years ago, not to brag or anything. But anyway, it's, it's very discouraging, to tell you the truth. So my brothers are slowly becoming believers in me as a prophet. 
<laughs> a political and religious prophet. I'm saying that in jest. But they kind of had that same reaction because they knew him so well. But the point I was making is this James in Matthew 13 listed here is most likely the one that wrote the book of James. Uh, later in the New Testament times, he became an elder in the church at Jerusalem and wrote the book of James. Now, there's a chance that that's not true, but here's the reason why that seems to be true to me. When you read the book of James, you find that it is stunningly close in so many references to the Sermon on the Mount and other things Jesus said during his ministry on the earth when his brothers were standing there listening to him. And so it has so many references and allusions to Jesus' early teaching that they would have heard while they were in Nazareth with him or in that area up there. So that's the James that wrote the New Testament. Now, did he have apostolic authority? I think he just he just claims authority as not as an apostle, but as a as an elder in the church of Jerusalem and as an inspired man. That's how James carries his authority. So I don't know. Is is that what you what what do you want to say? That we got some text coming in about this, but what do you want to say about no, this? No, no, that was that was that was part of what I was going to go to. And and basically uh, this the only thing about the book of James is it is it clarifies some points that a lot of people don't like. Um, basically, when it comes to whether or not we obedience, what we should do, uh, charity, things that we work, these are things that people just don't seem to like because it requires because you mean, it, you're talking about from the book of James, the book of James. Oh yeah, yeah. Martin Luther didn't like this book because it taught because that faith, basically it not puts faith only. It puts the responsibility for obeying God right back on you. I can I consider the book of yes that's exactly right I consider the book of James the wisdom literature of the New Testament it's very parallel to the kind of thing you read in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes about practical living and and that's where James is because and that's the that's really the work of an elder to help people know how to live day to day one of the main things that they're to take the word and apply it and I've got a little book I wrote on the book of James that kind of has the same this basic theme to it. But in any event, uh, it's, it's a very practical, good book. It's one of my favorite books of the New Testament, in fact, the book of James. Is. But apparently that was Jesus' half-brother. Now, in, in looking then at, the, at this question about apostolic authority. Well, one of the things I was going to mention about James is one of the things that sounds out to me is James chapter 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. That phrase right there just sets a lot of oh, yeah. the tone. Doers, for it. not hearers. Yeah, that, not just not just saying that you read the Bible both, every day. It's how are you living? Yes. And what are you doing with that? And that, that's, that's both what, positive that's, and negative. That's, that's both that puts, a, puts a responsibility back on you for being what God says you should be. James, James talks to rich people. He talks to poor people. He talks to women. He talks to men. He talks to every kind of person in the book of James. So it's an extremely valuable book, and it does deal with how we live, and that's this emphasis on, on, on works. And this book is not works that you do to earn salvation, but it's works that you do because you're obeying God. You have faith in God. Yes. Show, me your, show, me your, uh, show me your faith by what you're doing. He defines what faith really is. Faith is perfected faith, which is faith and obedience, now, which is belief and obedience. Right. 
Now, John texted in something. He texted and says in Mark 3, his family thought he was crazy. And that's probably right. I know that feeling. But uh, that's right, that they did think he was kind of crazy because they couldn't understand. See, Jesus didn't walk around. You know, you see in the Renaissance and, and, and kind of medieval art, you see the, the apostles and Mary have a little halo around their heads and they are always striking a religious pose. And preachers today have their religious voice, you know, and they when they preach and they teach, they have this soft, religious, soft voice, you know. And Jesus didn't grow up like that. He was just like any other boy growing up. And he was, even as a man, like other people in that regard. He didn't have a special religious voice with a halo around his head and so forth. Now, during the transfiguration, his true nature of being God shone through his flesh. But the rest of the time, there was nothing in him. The prophecy of Isaiah says that we should desire him. He was not handsome, more handsome or stronger than other men. There wasn't some glow about him. He didn't have a special voice. He was, an, he was a person like they were, yet without sin. And so that's why they stumbled at him. Now, when they began to do the miracles, one of the most, Gary, you talk about this in your class the other night, one of the most amazing scriptures in the New Testament to me is here are these people that stood there on that day and watched him raise Lazarus from, from the, the dead, dead, and they knew this man was dead. He was already stinking. They had seen him die, be dead, and they still didn't believe what he said. He, what he said about what him. he. They, did they didn't not believe, believe who he, who he was. was. That was. And the, then they decided they were going to kill him and kill Lazarus because people were following Jesus. <laughs> and it wasn't just the common people; these were the leaders. They thought that they thought that well, you know, here's Jesus by raising Lazarus. He's made Lazarus a witness to his deity. He's shown himself to be different. So we'll just kill him again, as if that would stop this whole process. If well, they just killed him again, how it's many times? Incredibly have, stupid. How many times in class have I said exactly that? Yeah. That is basically, who do you think you're going to kill? Uh, unbelief, unbelief can be uh, devastatingly shrewd but it can also be devastatingly stupid, okay? And, and really, and I think that the devil in the end gets so angry at Jesus. He just gets beside himself that he kills him, and yeah. that's the worst thing he could have done. <laughs> anyway, the well, other well, thing... Well, well they, said, they said basically there was a point, I think it was, I forget which one of the Gospels it's in, where the, the leaders went to Pilate and said, hey... Uh, we know that he said he was going to rise on the third day. He was going to come back yeah, to life on the yeah. third day. We need to set a guard over the tomb or they'll come steal his body. And it says if they steal his body, they'll say he was resurrected. And then it'll be worse than it was before. Yeah. And basically it was worse than it was before because he was raised from the dead. The other thing, Mike, that I think we ought to point out is this is a primary tenant of Christianity, if Jesus was not resurrected, if he did not raise from the, rise from the dead, what point is Christianity? There is no point to it. There That's is no exactly point to right. it. So if you have someone teaching you that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, raised from, was not raised from the dead, that's basically telling you that your religious is your religion is pointless. Right. So completely. That, uh, neutered Christianity. Right. Uh, and 
and you and I have said these are one of the things that's probably coming is uh, if the secular world has its way, it's going to say, well, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And they're going to declare you two are crazy. That's, yes, that's correct. That's one of the things that will eventually happen if we keep going on the road that we're going down now. Uh, the um, Yes, and in this whole vein of the questions before us, that's right, that, that's correct, that uh, it was, Mark 3.21, by the way, is the verse that the texture was referring to, that when, his, when they began to throng around Jesus here early in his ministry and so forth, um, it says, when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Okay. And the scribes and Pharisees said he has Beelzebub and demons and, and the ruler of the demons and so forth. So, yes, they, begot, they thought he was just kind of crazy and they were going to hide him from everybody. But, of course, that didn't work either. Now, the big question is that's been texted in here by John. And I, if you want to go this direction, Gary, we can. It really wasn't the question that Jerry asked, but it says the big question is, are there still apostles today and still miracles today? And that's a big question. Now, if you're a student of theology and so forth, uh, I would say, I don't need, I'm going to call Gary a name here. He doesn't even know the name probably. <laughs> Gary and I are what we, what we would be called religiously cessationists. Okay. Yeah, I've heard the term. Yeah, I figured you had. I'm just teasing you. But a cessationist is someone who believes that the miraculous, they believe in the miracles in the Bible. See, some people don't even believe that miracles happened in Jesus' day. or that he, he, They just try to explain them away naturalistically. And we, Gary and I firmly believe that Jesus and the apostles and even the prophets before that performed miracles. But we do not believe that those miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit are still happening today as such, that individuals do not have the power to perform miracles today. So we believe that those miraculous spiritual gifts have ceased in our present day, that when the apostles all died out, that those gifts disappeared from, uh, from the, the landscape, as it were. That separates us from people, which is, the I don't know, becoming maybe the more popular idea today, that that uh, that these gifts continue. Gary and I would also, and we can talk about why that is. We've we've discussed it before, but I, I'm not going to leave it right. But I'm going to make the point real clear, real real clear where we stand on this. That we are that we do not believe that the miraculous gifts that the apostles exercised in the New Testament times. We believe that they exercised them then, but after the apostles died, those gifts could not be passed on to anybody else, and therefore. When they they had passed their gift on to other people of that generation, and when those people died, sometime late after in the end of the first century or early in the second century, when those people died, those gifts ceased to be on earth as such, and it went back to like it was before that time. Well, and, and there there is even earth. some question in my mind is whether those people continued in those miracles after some point where God decided. The complete had come. As well, that's I right. I don't. I can't say when exactly the year, that, but when the word was all revealed, the Bible says in First Corinthians thirteen eight that that's when those gifts cease, when the word had all been revealed. 
the word or the complete word, the perfect, or the word perfect there means complete, had come, then those gifts would be done away because there was no more any need for the gifts. The gifts weren't given just to heal diseases. Uh, they were given so that the person who was speaking could have their testimony verified by the power of God, a kind of a note, notary seal to what they were saying or writing. And when they, when the gifts, when the revelation was complete, the seal had already been put on it by the miracles that were done. There was no more need for that. Now, uh, today, what we see around us, though, in a more general way, is. And, and I object to this. I, I object to this. I wish I could object to it more strongly, but people really get upset about it. I object to the common use of the word miracle that Christians often use. Oh, it's a miracle. A newborn baby. Oh, that's a miracle. Butterfly hatching out of a cocoon. Oh, that's a miracle. Or a sunrise. Oh, that's a miracle of the sunrise. Those are not miracles according to the Bible. If you use the Bible definition of a miracle, a miracle is not something that God designed into nature. Now, here's the thing. Even those wonderful things in nature, I believe God did them. I don't ascribe beautiful sunsets just to nature. I believe God's behind all that. He's the one who created the processes. He's the one who created the process of childbearing and childbirth and so forth. So I believe I give God the glory for those things. But the Bible does not call the birth of a child a miracle unless it was something like Abraham uh, and Sarah having a child at 100 years old or Jesus being inseminated uh, by God without a heavenly, without an earthly father. Those were miracles. But ordinary childbearing and childbirth are not. So that's how we misuse the word. Every time something happens today, you know, if the if the, the drive through at McDonald's, they get your order right because well, it's a miracle. My order was right at McDonald's, and it might be a wonder, a surprise, an anomaly, but it certainly is not a Bible miracle. So be careful how you use these words. They have a specific meaning that we ought not to drift from. That's one of the biggest complaint that you can have about modern times is, uh, and especially the way progressives and liberals will keep doing this, they keep changing the definition of words over and over again. And Gary, you know what a stickler I am for definitions of words. Your, your daughter-in-law well, well, laughs at me all the time about well, it, but basically, stick with it. Basically, we have to understand. Uh, I wish I could show the cartoon now. Uh, I keep coming up with this, and it, it just happened so many times. There was a shoe cartoon. Uh, I don't know whether you're familiar with the characters of in shoe, but there's a there's a young man called Skyler. He's in school. He's the nephew of. Uh, one of the characters, Cosmo. And Skylar's sitting in school, and the teacher says, next Monday we're going to have a quiz on Jupiter. Are there any questions? And Skylar says, yes. And his question is, how are we going to get there? Okay, what was the definition of on in that right. in that verse? What's he referring to? Yes. And so if we don't understand what the speaker is meaning the context and the use of the word, we don't get the meaning. Right. That's my point. Is exactly it, right. They they were uh, uh, we changed. Uh, well, this week the definition of a recession got changed. Right. Because it doesn't suit some people's idea of what the way things should be. So we just and and Wikipedia 
altered the definition and then froze the corrections people were making to the definition of recession because they prefer to have Joe Biden's definition because it helps Joe Biden. Now, this kind of thing, and that's not a shot. I'm just saying we should disagree with that, whether a Democrat or Republican. We should disagree with that process. Uh, Hold on. And especially Bible ideas. We should certainly stick with the Bible understandings and definitions of words. So don't take the word miracle and apply it to everything that happens in life that you find amazing and so forth. Keep it the way it is used in the scriptures. So we have this saying here, you know, we have, we, we uh, speak about Bible things in Bible ways. So we got, if we're going to do something in our worship here, we're going to try to find and see if there's anything, see what we can find in the scriptures as far as the concept and the idea and the words. If we can't find it, we're not going to do it as a part of our worship and and so forth because it doesn't fit, doesn't work. We're not going to change definitions or there. uh, This fellow that there's a a quote. Now, here's another definition been changed. Pastor. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's this pastor in, I think, New York City. Could be wrong about that. Somewhere up there. He's driving around Gary, I think. And he got robbed. Him and his wife got robbed. They stole a million dollars worth of jewelry off this man. The thieves did. One million dollars worth of jewelry off this man. And he was complaining about this, of course. I'm I'm thinking my first thought was, what in the world has a man of God, what need does he have? With a million dollars worth. For a million dollars worth of jewelry. I'll, I'll just give, I'll quote Judas. Could not have this been sold and given to the poor? <laughs> okay, I'll just quote Judas there. But but in any event, um, it that seems comp- that uh, what's your first clue, people, that something is wrong in this situation? Well, this guy claims to be an apostle, and so I'm thinking about the words of the apostles in the New Testament. Peter walks up to the poor man there the, uh, in Jerusalem. And he's begging at the beautiful gate. And he says, what does Peter say? Here, take one of my gold bracelets and you sell this and you can get, you don't have to be poor anymore. What's Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. <laughs> but what, <laughs> I what, I have. Peter, what I have, I'll give you. So he heals him with a true miracle. Yes. Okay, with a true miracle. But here's this apostle today in a church. And these churches are full of bishops and apostles that don't meet the definitions at all of the scriptures and what those men are. An apostle, according to the book of Acts in chapter 1, was someone who had to be someone who had been with, been with Jesus from the beginning and had witnessed. Let, let me just go there and read it because i got another scripture I want to go to about this since uh, it was brought up in the text. But they were trying to choose another apostle to replace Judas. Judas, right? And so... They were in Jerusalem, and he told them to wait there until they received power and so forth. And, and then they returned to Jerusalem in Acts 1, verse 12. And then it lists the at least Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And these all continued with one accord. And then Peter stood up and said that we, we need to choose, I'm paraphrasing, we need to choose another one 
And um, hang on, I'm kind of scroll down here to find this. And so, therefore, Peter says, Acts 121, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of this resurrection. And he proposed Barnabas and uh, Barsabbas, Joseph and Justice and Matthias. Well, I actually proposed Joseph called Barsabbas. It was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And so they prayed and they chose Matthias. What are the qualifications that Peter said would, they would have to use to pick another apostle? That's what they're doing here. Because it's the 12, he names the 12 apostles, so we've got to have somebody to replace Judas, who was an apostle, to go with us. He says it has to be somebody that has been with us since the baptism of John, and, can, and to that day he was taken up and from among us to the ascension, and this person here. So he has to be a witness of the life of Christ, of his birth, death, and resurrection. And especially life and uh, death uh, and resurrection. And especially he mentions the resurrection. Right, at the end. And so they picked this, that, that's the qualification. I'm not sure how this fellow in New York with a million bucks of gold uh, fits that definition, but he calls himself an apostle. And by that, what he means to convey to the people is, I have authority to tell you what to do, and you have to follow what I want you to do. This is what so many religious leaders are all about. And this is why so many people, even those listening to my voice and our voice today, Gary, why they object to religion churches so much is because the people that they've encountered are people that just want to tell them what to do and have authority over them and wear their gold jewelry or their special clothes or wear special titles around. They, they're not trying to point them to the real apostles and in humility teach them what those real apostles and what Jesus said and let Jesus and the apostles have the authority over their life. They want the authority over their life and so forth. Just, so, just remember, those men will not stand in the, in the docket when judgment comes. No, they're not, they're, not, they're not with you there. Christ will be with you, but they won't be with you. They're going to have their own sins to answer for. Right. So that's the problem with changing the definitions. And so, no, to answer the question... That's one of the reasons, because of what's said in Acts chapter 1, that I do not believe that there are apostles today, because no man living today can meet the criteria set forth there. The apostle Paul said he met that criteria as one born later, because he had witnessed the life of Jesus, witnessed his death and his resurrection, you see, and so he met the qualifications, even though at that time he was not a follower of Jesus. And, of course, the events on the road to Damascus proved that, Je that Jesus had chosen him specifically. He called himself one born out of due time. Now, now then, um, when you come to the book of Acts, you, you find that uh, the, the, the miracles that were done by the apostles, but look at what it says here. It says in Acts chapter 8, and there's a longer read in verse 14, that now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, 
that's through the convert that's through the teaching of the gospel up there they sent peter and john to them who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the holy spirit so here are people that have been baptized received the holy spirit in the sense of what it says in, in acts 2 but they had not received any miraculous powers now there were preachers there they were preaching the word but they couldn't impart this Holy Spirit in a miraculous sense to these people. And so they had to send Peter and John over there to them. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here people have been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but they hadn't received the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit as such. And it says, and then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter rebuked him, of course, and said, Your money perish with you. You don't have any partner lot in this matter. So here we see people that become Christians by being baptized in the name of Christ and have their sins remitted. They, don't, they didn't receive miraculous power when that happened. The apostles want some of them to receive this power because they need miracles to, to carry on their work of evangelism in the first century. And so they send the apostles down and they lay their hands on these people and they receive miraculous gifts. Now, did all of them receive these miraculous gifts? And the answer is no. Simon had been baptized. Did the apostles lay their hands on him? No. That's why he wanted it. He offered to buy with money because not everybody that becomes a Christian in the first century received miraculous powers of the Holy Spirit. You see this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Some of them had no gifts. Some had one gift. Some had many gifts. All those gifts were transferred to them by the laying on of the apostles' hands in some way or the laying on of the hands of someone that the apostles had given this power to. But beyond that, they couldn't pass it on. Only the apostles could pass it on, not the people who had received the gift. Now, that's what that's the logical, natural deductions from that passage. And I, that's why I consider myself, a, Gary, and you do too, a cessationist, among some other references. And so today, no, there are not people that can do miracles and so forth. I found out, we found out the other day. I know I'm yammering on here, Gary. You may want to say something, but I'm, let me finish. Let me tell another. I found out the other day that my sister-in-law had passed away, my wife's oldest sister. We didn't know this at the time. No one from the family, she lived in Tampa, contacted us uh, about this until we and we found out the other day. So we made contact with some of my wife's family up there. Now, my sister-in-law, from the time I met Judy, even before we were married, we kind of clashed religiously. And I was a young, brash young man of 21, you know, but uh, and, and we got married. I was 22. She. Um, she was a Pentecostal, uh, a charismatic Pentecostal who went to a church over there, an apostolic church in Tampa that had a minister, the reverend and apostle so and so reverend hand who she told me could do miracles. She was bragging to me that the church that she went to. Her preacher could do miracles, implying, of course, that you call yourself a preacher, but you can't do miracles. So I'll take my preacher who can do miracles. Okay, so we had this little discussion, and she told me all the kind of miracles that he could do. 
I said, really, Margaret? You really? That gets true, huh? Okay. I said, so I just sat down in the chair there, Gary, at her house. I pulled my pants leg up from on my bad leg, the one, the cerebral palsy leg, the one's had surgery to try to, it's withered. It looks, I won't even show it to anybody. I'm ashamed of it. It's withered and atrophied. It's got scars on it. It's not even straight. It's crooked from the cerebral palsy and the surgeries. And I showed her. I said, Margaret, take a look at this. I said, are you, tell, are you saying to me that you could take me right now to your reverend hand and he could fix my leg and make it look like the other leg? Are, are you telling me that you know a man who can do this? And she looked at me and I said, because if you are, I want you to take me to him today. This leg has caused me nothing but problems my whole life. Take me there now. And I said, if he can heal me, by, by, like the apostles did, I'll follow him wherever he goes. She looked at my leg. She looked at me. She goes, then she started to backtrack. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but he can do that. And so I went to her church later on. They offered to heal my headache. I had a headache that night when we went down to the little fellowship hall after her service at her church building. And, yeah, they offered to heal my headache and get pray for that, but they didn't offer to heal my leg. And there's a website out there called Why Does God Hate Amputees? It's an unbeliever's website, but it's a good question, isn't it? Why do these modern faith healers not heal people with withered arms and amputees? The apostles could. Jesus could, but they can't. They're not apostles. They're not miracle workers. I believe in miracles, but the ones in the Bible I believe in. I believe in the word of God today as revealed by, by, those, by his people who performed the miracles. The miracles were the sign to me that those people were telling the truth about what they said about God. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Well, that's the entire theme of the Gospel of John. The, the, these things were written down so that you would believe and believe exactly. who Jesus, Jesus was. Um, the nature of the miracles that are presented that Jesus did impressed me as having several characteristics. At least one of them was an immediacy. It was immediate what occurred. Uh, when Peter healed the, para, the paralytic, it was immediately evident that he was healed. Um, right now I'm doing a little bit of a study on basically Jesus' arrest and, and trial. And Peter cuts off the ear of uh, one of the servants. And Jesus touches the ear, and the language is, it was immediately healed. Right. That, 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 That's that, what I'm talking about right That's there. your miracle, Mike. Right. That's not... Now, the studies that they've done... I'm, I, go ahead, Gary. I interrupt No, I, That's the immediacy mm. and the change is evident that this is not in a natural in, healing process it is not in any way recognizable as a natural process. there are there are lots of surgeons today that can pick up that ear put it on some ice for a while then reattach it and so forth over a period of time and it might look sort of like it was that's not the point they could do that kind of stuff even then but that what jesus did was instantaneous and, see and, and that's the that that's the issue with with the people seeing these things and then not believing them is that these these miracles were immediate right then uh they they did they've done studies on miracle workers and i've been to a couple of different i've been to a couple of different um 
like crusades or assemblies where these people have been doing their miracles. And they very carefully select the people that they're going to heal. But they've done studies and followed these people up. There's never any physical change. Let's say a person comes up on crutches up to the stage and, and they put their hand in their head and, you know, knocked them down and all that kind of stuff. And that person throws their crutches away and they can limp around the stage and so forth. What they find, Gary, when they followed, they, they took these people's names down, began to do and did some research on this before and after. And it's only a very select kind of case that this happened to. And they found that within six months, these people were back at least as bad as they were before. Now, I don't have that study in front of me. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy study done probably 25 years ago that these people were right back where they were. So, yes, it's possible to have a physical condition of lameness or weakness that you could, for psychological reasons, get up and overcome it for a short while. But since you weren't really healed, really made whole, like the man at the beautiful gate who's dancing and jumping around because he was healed, you weren't really made whole. It wasn't a permanent change at all. Or they would say that the miracle happened and they re their sight was regained over a period of months. They regained some sight, that kind of thing. But then it faded away. Well, that kind of thing can happen of its own accord, right? It's not a miracle when those kind of things happen. But the point is, Mike, these are not the kind of things that are described in the text. No, that's not that's not at all. The blind man being healed, everybody knew he'd been blind. He'd been blind since birth. He'd been blind since birth. They all knew who he was. And so they knew he'd been, and he's walking around seeing in the city of Jerusalem, identifying. Well, when they asked him who healed you, he said, I don't know, because he couldn't see him. You know? <laughs> told him what to do. He told him what to do, and he went and did it. He was not with Jesus when he was actually got his sight back. He went over to the pool and did it. And I think that was part of the reason, to tell you the truth. Because when they asked him, who, I don't know, he did this, and here you can, you can find him if you want, and they found him. Well, and, and later on, he does find Jesus, and he doesn't know who he is, but Jesus reveals himself mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. And, and so we see that this, this was a lasting thing. It, it, it continued for... Now, I, I really mean this. If you, if people listen to me, they can get mad at me and you for saying this about miracle workers. If you know somebody that can, can, can restore a withered leg and heal the problems of cerebral palsy, I wouldn't mind my arm being healed either. It doesn't look quite as bad. But, but if you can heal my right side, uh, come see me. I mean that. I, I'll, I'll give it a shot. OK, I'll, I'll give it a shot. You take me to your fellow and you see if he can heal me. Oh, you don't believe. Yeah, I know. Uh, what about the these cases in the Bible? How, how did that dead man? How was Lazarus a believer that Jesus could raise him from the dead? He was dead. What about the widow's son that Jesus healed? He was dead. What kind of faith was there there? On and on. Story after story. Yeah, some of them showed faith and they would say, yes, uh, your faith has made you whole. But others didn't show any faith at all. It was the faith of their friends, maybe, sometimes. Well, when the, sometimes when the, paralytic, was, when the, when the paralytic was let down through the, through the roof to, for, for Jesus, in that case, whose faith did Jesus see? It says when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man. But whose faith was it? And see, there are these other kinds of signs that were done. Jesus withering trees with a word. 
things like that. I don't see these people doing those kind of signs. Show me that kind of sign, you see. And they don't show you those kind of signs because they, they can't. They do not exist. There's ways to fool people, and there's ways to make things look a certain way. But stop following me. I want to, I'm warning you, stop following these people, putting your trust in them, sending your money to them, believing what they say about salvation. A man that will deceive you about this will certainly deceive you about how to be saved and and follow Jesus' word. So well, and, that's and, the problem. And basically, I, I forget the Corinthian note about uh, what the reference was there, Mike. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14 or 15, where he says these things are going to cease. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.8 is what it's, oh, it's is okay. the verse. Yeah, I, I, I had the, the wrong chapter. Yeah. Well, 12, 13, and 14 are all about the use right. of miraculous spiritual gifts. So, but also, it's not just there. It's it, in prophesying about the coming of the kingdom, in prophesying about Jesus making an end to sin or a remedy for sin, even in Zechariah 13, in verse 1, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. He's talking about the message of Jesus right here. In Zechariah, and he says, "In it shall be in that day," says the Lord of Hosts. And he goes on, "I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land." That's verse two. He's saying these things are going to disappear. They're they're coming. They're going to be here for a while, but they're going to go away. And it was even prophesied that that would happen. You, you can see this from the Old Testament as well as the New. That's the thing that that you know, gets me about people not seeing or understanding what the Corinthian letter is about. By the way, Gary, I just uh, typed in cessationism into my browser window. I don't think I've ever done that before. And the first, when I hit return, I came up with this website, cessationism.com, which it says is the ultimate cessationism resource. There are just dozens and dozens and dozens of books audio articles, other resources there. I'm interested to look at this and uh, lots of different people. So if you want, I don't know if you agree or disagree if you're listening, but if you want to learn about why people like me would say that these gifts don't work today, go take a look at this at this resource. You'll find a lot of other stuff there and begin a study of the passages here. And I don't know that I agree with all these people here about everything that they say, but it looks like a pretty good resource. Uh, and it even it includes the it includes the speaking in tongues situation, the yeah. Colossalalia, speaking in tongues. And we can talk about that on another show, probably worth another show to talk about that. Well we just got about a minute left here. We need to wrap this up. So well, thanks. Basically the thirty the, seconds actually. the first Corinthians passage in Zechariah thirteen about the first uh, five or six verses, look at the context of that and what he's talking about. It goes right along with what Paul says in the Corinthian letter. Well, thanks for listening today. We appreciate it. Take a look at our website. We are just Christians. Come and see us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'll meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible study. And we also meet at 11 o'clock for our regular worship with preaching and the communion. And then 7.30 on Wednesday night, we have Bible study also, again, for all ages. Come and be with us. We really appreciate you listening and tune in again next week. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. WPSL Port St. Lucie.